Everyone has a story. I get them to tell it. Welcome to the Aaron Bender Podcast, conversations with media personalities about their personal and professional lives and journeys. Thanks for joining me, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or your favorite platform. You can also watch on YouTube or nightly at 11 on DBNA TV at dbnatelevision.tv or streaming with the DBNA TV app on Amazon Fire. Roku and Apple TV. That's 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. Before we get to my conversation with Nick Hamilton, a little about my story. I'm a widowed dad of two girls who just lost their mom, a grieving husband, a man in recovery trying to reconnect with the world with fresh eyes, faith, and perspective, a college journalism professor, a white guy in a world of injustice, a 20-year broadcast media veteran who had his dream job and then lost it. A year and a half ago, God gave me a gift, an opportunity to stop step back and breathe so I can learn about love, vulnerability, forgiveness, grace, self-care, patience, and understanding. Nick Hamilton is the owner of Nightcast Media, a new and proudly black-owned company covering all things sports and pop culture and more. Shout out my guy, Big Brother Jake, doing big things with Nightcast. Nick grew up in LA at a time when he says he wasn't sure he'd make it to C21. And for a time, didn't care whether he lived or died, and even one day gave someone the power to make that choice for him. Nick and I discuss fatherhood and how it's been raising an eight-year-old son with autism. We discuss mental health, his take on the angels dumping Albert Pujols and the pickup by the Dodgers. We rate the two chronic albums, even talk about Summer Jam. Yeah, yeah, Summer Jam. We all remember Summer Jam. And whether he thinks I could have rocked a cross-colors jacket back in the day. I know you went to El Camino College. Did you grow up in that area? Actually, I grew up uh, the first, I would say maybe the first six years of my life, I grew up in Carson, which is right down the street from Cal State Dominguez Hills. Yeah. Uh, then we moved to the LA Inglewood area and uh, pretty much grew up between those spots. Um, you know, spent some time in Long Beach on the east side of Long Beach, because uh, I had a lot of cousins and stuff down there yeah. growing up. So spent time down there as well. And, you know, just kind of went well-rounded, so I just, been around I've, I've been i'm born and raised in la i know that's like foreign to a lot of people that may be watching and listening but yes there are some of us that are born and raised here uh in los angeles uh and you know just being able to go to various high schools if i if i mention certain high schools la people know exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> what what high schools like what what uh well let's talk about yours like what what memories do you have at the high school you went to Oh man. So I went to Westchester. I went to Crenshaw for a minute. I went to a place called Southwest uh, Middle College. Uh, and then I ended up graduating from Culver Adult School because I got tired of school. I, I, okay. Uh, okay. So we're we're going <laughs> to unpack that. We're going to unpack that. So why, why all the, the hopping around? Um, basically just, it was a, it was a, you know, the nineties in LA was a weird time. I always say it was fun, but it was dangerous. And I think my mom, you know, really, wanted to try to protect me as much as she could. So when she heard something or I wasn't doing something I was supposed to do, she would move me On around. to the next, on to the next. Right. And then um, my great aunt, she was a counselor at, at uh, Southwest Middle College. So that's why she put me in there to kind of keep an eye on me. Uh, but that didn't work. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's actually where I discovered that I could actually have a future in journalism. And at that time I was on a school newspaper. And I would write about music. I would write about entertainment. 
very little sports, but I will talk to you about sports. I would berate you about certain teams. <laughs> oh, you want to talk All about right? sports? Let's go. That kind of yeah. thing. Like, oh, but you know what? You're about to be here for a while. <laughs> and that's where I mean, it started when I was at Westchester. We used to be on the grounds, you know, in the, in the back uh, basketball courts, and we got a newspaper back then and talk about everybody's teams that was sorry, or if your team was good, or whatever, you know, your player was sorry. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And then, in, like I said, my 11th grade year, when I went to a middle college, it was a, a teacher named Mr. Strauss. His name was Larry Strauss. And I wrote a piece on, I think it was Snoop. And uh, in the dog pound, it was like, I think it was right on the cusp of murder was a case. Yeah. No, it was after murder was a case that dropped. It was on the verge of dog food dropping, which is dog pounds album. And I had wrote a whole piece, like a collective. And he was like, man, this is good. He said, you got a few grammaticals, but other than that, like the structure is good. Like you actually got to and I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, man. Like, that's one piece, right? <laughs> He's like, no, dude, I'm telling you. And I had no idea who he was. Mind yeah, you, yeah. he had written cartoons for like Voltron, like Transformers, uh, wrote some other pieces. I had no idea who this man was. So for him to tell me that, now that I look back on it, I was like, damn, I was naive as hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> I should have believed him. Um, yeah, how long did but- it take after he said that? Did it kind of sink in like, okay, maybe this can be a future? You know what? To, to be honest with you, it took years after that because I really didn't pay. Like I said, I enjoy certain parts of school, but I hated school overall because it just wasn't feeding me intellectually. It wasn't feeding me uh, mentally. It was fun. You know, I had, I had you know, friends and associates that I, I, I hung out with at the time. Uh, we went on some really wild adventures at the time. Um, you know, it was just it was a, it was just a crazy time. And so I think a lot of times um, when you look back on stuff in hindsight, you were like, man, I wish I would have done this move or maybe if I'd have done this move a little different, how far would I be in life? Um, but it didn't really sink sink in until I had I actually went back to school. Once I went back to school, which was at El Camino. Um, that's when I was able to, you know, get involved into the journalism program itself. And that's when I was able to obtain an internship at ESPN LA. And, you know, shout out to Beto Duran because he was the guy that, you know, opened, you know, created the pathway. And David Singer, too, who's now at the NFL Network. But right. Dave Singer really took me under his wing along with Amanda Brown, who's still there. Um, yeah, she's ESPN running LA. things now. Yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. Not she's, just, she's the boss. Not just a she's producer hat. She's. <laughs> I told her, I said, you are the boss of all bosses. You do understand that, right? She's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, you really don't. But it's cool. <laughs> There's no doubt I, I respect your title. But, you know, she, she gives me great advice even to this day. So, um, and a lot of other people up there that I've been able to maintain relationships with. Um, do you ever reach back I, out to Mr. Strauss? You know what? I haven't seen him in years. Um, I know he's still around. Thank God. I hope that everything is with him and his family is good with this whole pandemic situation. But um, I haven't reached out to him. But I hope if he's watching from afar, I hope, I hope he's proud at what he's seen. So, Take me back to jumping around. Your mom hears something like, oh, okay. We, we need to take Nick out of this situation. What types of trouble might your mom have heard about? Uh, you know, not going to class when I was supposed to, um, you know, going to certain ditching parties back then. <laughs> I do uh, appreciate, I do appreciate that there's, there's, there's that slight change when we hear about mom 
or so there's like a slight change in the in the body style and the kind of the the mannerisms like uh oh I, I feel like I sent you back there like you're, yeah, you're back in trouble again. yeah oh and don't I mean don't get me wrong you know pops was no joke either so <laughs> you know it was kind of like who do you want to face like we'll pick your poison yeah, so to speak yeah. so um you know I was at Westchester for a while um, and in 10th grade, I was wild. I got accustomed to the, 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 the high school life. Ninth grade, I will tell anybody this, and I'll put this one day in my book. I was an absolute nerd. I was a great. I was just everything that you, I was just everything, right? It was just, just completely, totally different. I didn't know how to dress. Because at Westchester, you had to know how to dress. You had to have your gear on point. If your gear wasn't on point, you were getting laughed at and you were getting clowned. And that's what happened. Uh, but that summer before 10th grade is when I really gained a lot of stuff and started hanging around certain elements that I shouldn't have been hanging around. I was going to ask, like, was that a, was that a conscious decision on your part looking back? Like, okay, ninth grade, this, this is not how I want the next three years to go. I, I've got to make a change or maybe you just kind of got absorbed into something and, and you're like, okay, just the changes were happening. You know what? It's funny, man. I got dissed by girls more than the law allowed. And I, I didn't like that because there were some really, like, really pretty girls. And I'm like, damn, is that how it is? You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a popular cat. I would tell people that all all day long. I didn't get I didn't start hanging around the popular kids until I got to middle college. And that's when we we were the, we were the crew. But before that, no, Westchester, Crenshaw. No, absolutely. I was cool, but wasn't in that environment. And that, in that you weren't next level. Not at all. Not at all, but my gear, but I will say my gear was on point in tenth grade. I learned a valuable lesson. Let, let's let's talk some of that gear. Let's talk some of that gear. Oh man, well let's take it back to the nineties. You know there were hangout spots. So you had South Bay Galleria, you had Delamo Mall before they refurbished it. Right. What it looks like now. Uh, you had Hawthorne Mall. Shout out to the Hawthorne Mall. Everybody that in LA is listening knows what the Hawthorne Mall was a spot. <laughs> um, going to the Slauson Swap Beat. So there's just just elements, and then being able to branch out and going to different areas. And those are the things that I, I really take take to heart. It really shaped me as an individual. I mean, the good and the bad, it really shaped me. But going to different high schools, I was able to meet different people. So it's like now when I come in contact with people and they're telling me, well, where'd you go to school? What did you, oh man, I, were you in such and such class? Yeah, man, I was in, you know, then we start to connect and, and build yeah. that chemistry. And yeah. so I thought that was just, now that I look back on it, you know, it was it was good to see you know, being an LA native, being in LA and being in, in, in South Central LA and being around those environments really shaped me to who I was or who I am rather. Um, and, and really when I really had to go through those things, I realized now I had to go through those things to get to where I am right now. Yeah. I remember, I don't remember what year of high school it was, but that back to school shopping, oh. we couldn't afford much. But I, I made sure to get one, maybe two, I think just one Jinko outfit. I couldn't go cross colors because, I mean, look, look at me. Look at me. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't show up with cross colors. But Jinko, uh, J-N-C-O, that was like, oh, okay, that's acceptable. You could do that. I can see you in a cross colors jacket though. Like you can kind of slide <laughs> with the jacket if you if you Just coordinate it right. Yes. If you coordinate yes. it right, you might be able to slide. The problem with the jacket. was I got a purple jean coat jacket with the black pants. I'm colorblind. I was rocking it one day with blue Converse, blue Chucks, <laughs> and I and all day. Once you get to school, that's it. You you can't you 
Yeah, it was, and we didn't have we didn't have lockers because uh, after ninth grade, because of our class at Charter Oak High School in Covina, because of our class, they took out the lockers. After sixth grade Uh at Royal Oak, took out the lockers. After ninth grade, Charter Oak took out the lockers. So, I had to carry that jacket. I had to. I just had to wear it. Basically, I just I. Okay. Okay. All right. I just want. I I know I won't do this again. And you know what? The funny part about being being geared up, as we used to call it, is the fact that certain schools, like if you would come to certain schools that wasn't into that, you were like looked upon like, oh my God. And then you had to be careful because you might get jacked because you got to take the bus everywhere. So I was taking the bus everywhere. Me and, and, and the guys that I hung out with, we were taking buses everywhere, like going to the mall, going to parties, going movies, wherever it was. So you had to be careful because back then uh, there was certain thing as certain hoods you could not go through and wear certain things as you cross those neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, so you had to be very careful uh, in which you rock. You still wanted to be fly, but you had to be safe at the same time and make sure you got home in one piece. Uh, so that, like I said, that's why I said LA in the nineties was, it was fun, but it was dangerous too, man. I know you said <laughs> your parents moved you around. Did you, were you cool with that when they were doing that? Did you understand it or did it, take some living of life for you to realize looking back oh okay that's why they did that thank you you know what I I understood it I didn't like it at first because anytime it's new you got to make all these new people it was the cool part about going to Crenshaw was the fact that it was a few folks from Westchester that I knew that went there too so we kind of connected a little bit um so it didn't make the transit the transition rather as bad um, but I was in a whole different mindset at that, at that time. Um, you know, I was, I was hanging around some folks that in my, you know, family, you know, family, um, <laughs> my cousins and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, I was in a different headspace, you know, and I, I, t- I say this, you know, all jokes aside, you know, I was in a different headspace and we didn't, at that time, we didn't talk about mental health. We weren't talking about the, the importance of mental health and stress and PTSD, as young black males go through in the communities that we come from and young, you know, young brown males or whoever, we have PTSD, but it wasn't diagnosed back then. It was just like, oh, you just making excuses or it was just kind of waved upon. Um, you were weak. You know, if you admitted something, you know, that's how it was looked upon back then. Um, but we all suffered from PTSD. And I think I had a mentality back then where I didn't care if I lived or died. There was an incident and I'll share this with you. I haven't shared this before. So I'll share this with the Aaron Bender podcast, of Thank course. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So a couple guys that I knew, we were in this program. Um, it was a USC Bridge program. When you coming from high school, senior high school, to um, it was a financial program. It, it, it benefited people from Black and, 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 and Latino and, and communities of color. And to teach us about the importance of finance. Um, the stock market, how to read the stock market, how to read the newspaper, this things that we weren't necessarily taught because a lot of our parents weren't involved in that. It's not their fault. It's just they 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 taught us what they knew. Right. But they but the good thing is that our parents had the good sense to expose us to those things, um, to where we can get knowledge from people that did uh, did know what was going on in those in those vast areas in the stock market and finance and the importance of business and things of that nature. So. We would go to USC and again, we take the bus everywhere. So yeah. we're on the bus. Um, there was a movie that came out. 
getting off the bus and we we're not we're not even paying attention we're so hyped about seeing this movie we're not even paying attention to the surroundings around us as we say we were caught slipping yeah. real bad uh so we crossed the street man when i tell you it felt like a movie you know the mate you watched the matrix yes you know that slow motion yeah. as, as neo like tries to dodge those bullets right right that's what it felt like that's how it felt when you had about 30 blood gang members coming at us right it's like a stampede and all of a sudden they stopped. It's like something stopped them. Like, hey, you know, I, I got on blue, like the color I have on right now. And a couple guys I know, and they literally, you know, jacked us. Pretty much pulled a gun out. Um, you know, took our money. I had I had money patted down in another part of my body that I always keep just in case for emergencies at that time. And uh, they took a lot of, you know, my guys' wallets and things like that. But they pulled a gun on me, stuck it in my stomach. And I had on the Charles Barkley's, I had on the Barkley's and they had just come out like a year prior. So this was like, no, I'm sorry. This was the third Charles Barkley shoot. Yeah. So that was like 97, 98. And do one of my Barkley's, I'm like, no, I'm not coming out of it. I said, matter of fact, do me a favor. Why don't you just kill me now and you can get it over with and you'd be doing me a hell of a favor. And all of a sudden I see this dude's eyes literally bug out as if somebody is behind me. And he's like, man, it's probably fake anyway. And he walks off. Now, to this day, I don't know what was behind me. My mom thinks it was some guardian angel, whatever it was. And at that time, as I said, I didn't care if I lived or died because my mentality was all over the place. And I was literally trying to find myself as a young teen. So, um, you know, and they looked at me like, damn, man, you're not scared? I'm like, for what? What's he going to do to me that already hasn't been done? That was my mentality, but it was a very irresponsible mentality um, at that point because I felt like had he called my bluff, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I wouldn't be able to create the things that I'm creating. So it was a, it was a hell of a gamble. I don't encourage anybody to ever do that. Um, but I, was, I happened to be very fortunate at that moment. And that's something that really, as I look back on it, um, it was like, wow all the things that I went through and I'm still here and I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I, I thank God I'm not paralyzed. I'm not, you know, I got all my bodily functions. I can, you know, move around. Some things sometimes you take for granted. You kind of think back on those moments like that in your life. And you have to really be grateful for where you are and what you're doing. Um, and, it, and we went on, and, and silly as it sounds, we went on and still went to the movies. I was about to, <laughs> do you remember the movie? Do you remember the movie? Um, Damn, what was the movie? Um, shoot, I forgot the movie. If it's if it's ninety seven, uh, it's like ninety. Yeah, I forgot the movie. I'll, we'll have to we'll have to look back. We'll have it's to look a cult back. classic. That's all I remember. I know it's a cult classic, but we went to go see it, and we still went to go see it. And then we had to call my man, his mom, to come get us because we didn't have, have money, to, money to, bus. to get back on the bus unless we were gonna sneak on the back of the bus. And if you in L.A., MTA was notorious for sneaking back on buses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we weren't gonna do that. And she came and got us, got us up out of there and, you know, never looked back. What was the conversation like with your mom when you told her what happened? I didn't tell her what happened until about, I would say like a week later. Um, I was going to say like a week ago. <laughs> no, yeah, like a week after that, I, I like I had mentioned it to her and she was like, well, I don't want you hanging out with those. It's like, it's not them. It's It's not them. It's just. It's just the environment. And yep. the thing about it is like, 
but I didn't understand energy. I didn't understand positive and negative things and how you attract certain people and attract ailments towards you, whether good or bad, and how important that is. I didn't understand. She was trying to tell me that stuff, and it was just like right over my head, like whatever. Yeah, I was an intelligent a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a pretty intelligent guy. I wasn't a dummy, but at the same time, it was certain things that weren't. I wasn't mature enough to handle. Yeah, that so, mentality of not caring whether you live or die. When did you shed that? Um, my cousin. I went to his funeral, and he got killed. And it was a cousin that I kind of grew up with. Uh, he's a little bit older than me, but we still were really pretty tight. And um. You know, I was at his funeral and a lot of his homies from his hood were there. And it's just something hit me like I don't I want to live now, you know, because I didn't think I was gonna make it to 21. Because in 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 society, especially back then, I, I don't, I'm sure it's probably similar to what it is now. Again, I'm not, you know, in that age group, but back then it was like live catch, you know, if you make it to 21, you made it. You know, that was the mentality. That was what was being spoon-fed to us as young black males. And so you were like, man, if I make it 21, I'm cool. And I got to 21, got to 22, and that's when it clicked. And I say, man, I don't want to live like this anymore. I do want to live. And I stopped hanging around certain people, um, kind of started getting my life together a little bit, trying to still figure things out. But the, el the, ele the elements changed. And when I saw that, when I went to that funeral, that's what turned me around. And I said, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the casket at 22. I don't want to be in the casket at 25. I want to live till I'm like at least a good 85 or 90. You know, let me, let me go to the bingo hall and let me go hang out at the bingo <laughs> hall when I'm 80 or something, you know, let's go slap some dominoes or something. Let me watch, you know, let me have a nice little 40 something year old on my lap. Something. I don't know. <laughs> is that when you decided to go to El Camino and once there, is that when you said, okay, journalism or media is where I want to go. Yeah, I, I ran from it because I I was I had I was a model. So I, I had a modeling contract with uh LA models. Here we go, I Nick. Modeled, Here I we modeled go. for I modeled for about <laughs> four years. I had a contract for three. I modeled for four. Um and then, because I just and at that point I feel like I realized I reached my ceiling um with that and it was like okay now what am I gonna do? You know I made some money. But now what am I going to do? Um, and one day I saw my, my modeling pictures. I don't care. I know. Either. I was going to say, I, I think this is where we need to include them in the YouTube version of this podcast. You know me, man. I don't. I, I tell people all the time. I say, hey, when I give a damn, you'll be the first to know. But until then, <laughs> I'll put them out. And I know I, know I look good. <laughs> but, I mean, that's when I, I was about, I went to El Camino about 26 about 26 yeah. and that's what I that's when I was like you know what I am an individual that needs to do something I've been running from this I feel like it was a path that I've been running from for a while I didn't want to embrace it I didn't really know how to embrace it to be honest but I didn't want to embrace it um and that's when I just went back to school and I will say this much a uh, young lady whom I was with at the time who was you know the mother of my son at the time um, she kind of encouraged me to go back to school and that's pretty much uh when that took place and then I realized you know what I, I like to write I like sports I like music I like writing about entertainment stuff 
let me see how I, how I can make this thing work because now it's got to pay. Um, if we if this thing doesn't pay off at some point, then I'm really screwed. So that's when I went to the journalism department and just really started taking classes, really participating. I took, uh, you know, speech classes. Uh, I took I think I took a, a marketing. I took an econ class. And that's what my love for, you know, economics. Everybody said, oh, economics is boring. I was like, it wasn't boring to me mm-hmm. because I just, I fell into it. And if I didn't do journalism, I'd probably be an econ major. Who knows? But I enjoyed it because I like money. Econ and, was one of the ones that actually turned me off to business. I just could not wrap my head around. I don't know if it was macro or micro, whatever it was, that and one of the accounting classes. I, I The first semester was great. Okay, let's go. Second semester, I don't know what it was, but it just was <laughs> not clicking. It's you know what it's it's like anything else. I think you have to really be engaged into it, and I think you know like my accounting class I took it was terrible, and it wasn't because of the class. The professor sucked. That, <laughs> he, that's he, another he, thing too. It's like you, yeah, you it sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Like uh, if Man. I knew first semester at Mount Sac. When I'm falling asleep in my history class as a history major, okay, this is not going to work. This is not going to fly. Because if all the history teachers and professors are like this guy, it's not going to work. Yeah, and see, that's the whole thing. Like, some of these people don't deserve to, 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 to have any business teaching a course. And, you know. Because obviously at one point they were passionate about it, but yeah, it's clear that passion is gone. They got complacent. They just taking a check and going home. They don't care what they do and what impact that they have. And that's the sad part about it. But for the most part, I have, I have some really good professors. And so a couple of them I'm still good with to this day. Like we still will communicate on social media. And, but that's what I wanted to do. And like I said earlier, you know, it, it, I got, she connected me with Beto Duran and Beto connected me um, with ESPN LA. And that's when I met Dave Singer and, uh, I ended up meeting Amanda and she'll probably hate me when I tell the story, but I didn't think Amanda liked me at first. I thought she didn't like me because she was like super hard on me. Like she could not, she didn't, I'm like, dang, I'm an intern. She probably think I'm like, I don't know what she's thinking, but she, I know she just don't like me. And we had a conversation about it so I could say it now, but she's like, no, I just, you know, interns are interns. So I had to see what you were made of basically. And I'm like, okay. So me and this other guy, um, I mean, we kicked ass and we, we, I, I tell this this story. That first week, that first 13, 14 months, I was going to school. Now I become a blogger. And you know, Aaron, bloggers back then in like 2007, 2008 were like the antichrist to journalists. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they, we were not respected. It was you, Ben Maller, and Drudge. That <laughs> and shout out to Ben Maller, because I love listening to Ben Maller. Ben Maller's yeah. the coolest dude. Yeah. I got a chance to meet him one time at a at a at a Dodger game before the pandemic. He's great. He was one yeah. of the, Coolest dudes I've ever met, man. What you hear on the radio is exactly what you see in person. So yes. anyway, I digress. But uh, that's what, you know, That's those are the things that, so I suck at writing. I suck. I tell it, to, I've talked to many classrooms and kids. Look, when I first started, I sucked. I, I want to burn. I hope that my stuff never resurfaces when I'm gone off this earth because <laughs> it would be an embarrassment to my So family. you'll put out the modeling pictures, but the writing, that's got to stay. Nope, gonna- nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Not back then. No, sir. You know, and I used to write poetry. I still do from time to time. So I knew I could, if I could write poetry, I'm like, damn, why am I having such a difficult time doing this? And I had to go back and kind of humble myself and understand the techniques uh, doing that. So I was going to school. 
I was interning 21 hours a week. I was covering events as an independent and I was working part-time. So that was my first 13 to 14 months. So I had no life. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was sleeping three to four hours a day. I had no life. And, but I loved it. I was, I was driven. And I, my first, the goal that I had from day one, I think I, and I, uh, I told this to DJ head when we, and I had him on my show a while back and I said, dude, my, cause he used to say he has, he has a, 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 a saying where he says, Hey, if you don't make a record, that's going to be universal or nationwide. then what are you doing? Right. And I said, dude, I totally feel that. And I took that. I said, to paraphrase that I said, I, I applied that to media. So if I'm not competing with the big boys, the ESPNs, the Fox, the Yahoo's, the NBC's of the world, then what the hell am I doing? Because I can conquer this. And it's no disrespect to people that are were on a on an independent tier, but I know I could conquer that. I need to raise my level of expectation to a higher vibration to where I can achieve that. And I forced myself to achieve that. And I willed my way to achieve that. So that's what I was doing. So the whole time, um, learning, watching, and myself and I forgot uh, the other dude's name. We were the only two interns out of that seven intern class that got a chance to go to the ESPN Christmas party. And from then on, we ended up flipping that into working for ESPN LA. We worked on the radio side. We ended up working on the promotion side. Um, so I learned how to cut up sound. I learned what the promotions does, going out in the field, dealing with the fan base, all of those things. Um, and I ended up, you know, I wanted to get on radio. Nobody give me would give me a chance, so I created my own. So I went and found me an independent, you know, satellite radio station, paid my money every month for like eleven months, <laughs> yep. and got on yep. the air back in twenty twelve, and it lasted eleven months because I ran out of money <laughs> at, at some point. Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, I got once I got I got I think I, I got one month paid for because it was we went to this uh, this store, independent store, and they paid us you know for a month yeah. to advertise. And that was it. But I learned a valuable lesson. I didn't jump back on the air until about 2017. But I had so much accumulated knowledge. I was like, dude, okay, let's go. Like I listened to the people that I listen to that I admire and still do, you know, and you happen to be one of them. That's ironic. I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. Like I used to listen to you because your voice is very distinctive. So, you know, when you hear Aaron Bender, it's like, yep, that's him. <laughs> Thank you, man. I know. I appreciate that. It, 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 hold on. Let me get that voice. Thank you, man. Thank you. There you go. See, Thank that's you. the Aaron voice. That's, that's a signature sound. So uh, as somebody who, you know, you weren't a very good student, you're bouncing around all these different high schools. You were, you had that mentality of I, I'll be lucky to see 21. I hope I can see 25. Where did the work ethic come from? Just being better, man. I just wanted to be better. I mean, let me be clear. I graduated with 3.65. Oh, nice. let's be clear about that's, that. That's better than me. <laughs> but uh, oh no! Again, I told you I have parents that don't play that, so yeah, they weren't going to settle for anything less than they really. I mean, less than what I was willing to to, to do. But it started when I was younger. Um, I, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I used to sell cookies when I was young. I used to help my mom bake cookies. We would sell them at school. Um, in the summers, I would have my own car washing business, so I would get my own equipment. My mom would, you know, my folks would help me out rather. And I would wash cars all summer and stack up money. So the work ethic was always there. It's just something at school just yeah. was not clicking. And I, I don't know what it is about journalism and journalists. I, I feel like a lot of journalists fall into it or or it's it's not, you know, front of mind as something that they want to do. They're just there's something about 
the curriculum in a high school or whatever it is that for people who end up as journalists just doesn't click. It just doesn't, there, there's no passion sparked there. I think it's because the way our brains work, you know, we're smarter than the curriculum. I'll be honest and say that. I think we're a lot smarter than the curriculum allows us to be. I think they want to put us in this box. And I've always said, and I'll say this on this show too, the public school system is designed for black and brown kids to fail and other kids from, from lesser, you know, communities, no matter what race you are from lesser, you know, financial communities, is designed for them to fail as well and create this pipeline to becoming workers instead of owners. And I've always had this saying, and it's trademarked, by the way, so nobody can take this. Here we go. So, but you respect, you like us as, you like us as workers, but you don't respect us as owners. And that's what it is. And I'm constantly seeing that even as kids today in school, I'm constantly seeing that they're promoting, oh, go out here, go get a job, go work for this company, go work for that company. And that's fine to get the experience. But at some point, obviously, everybody can't be an entrepreneur. But at some point, what are you going to create to make the world better? There's something that you have to create that's just, that can make the world better. Even the most minute thing that you think is minute that can be larger than life to many people that can benefit from it. But they kill our creativity and it's designed to kill our creativity, which is why, like you said earlier, we don't we don't adhere to the curriculum of the junior high or high school because our brains think differently. That's why we are journalists or reporters or, you know, radio hosts or TV hosts, because we think different. And it was nothing back in high school that stimulated our intellect to say, oh, I can do this or I can do that. Think about if I didn't have a Mr. Strauss in my life or several other teachers before him in my life that would be able to guide me. Where would I be right now? And I see a lot of kids that don't have that backing. You know, where would you be? Where would anybody be um, without certain people in our lives that we grew up on, whether we accepted them then or we waited later on? Where would we be? So there's a lot of kids out there that need that backing. And that's what really propelled me to really start speaking in schools and really trying to connect with these kids because it's like, look, if you could reach one, you may have saved a life and you may have changed lives over the course of time for what they have to do. So, I mean, I don't mean to preach on here, but it's just like, that's just that's, that's my, my philosophy as far as the public school system goes. Uh, what went into the decision, obviously, given what we just talked about, uh, to start Nightcast Media and also just the, the name of that alone? How did you come up with Nightcast and what went into the decision to start your own media company or not even what went into it? Cause I think you just explained it. Uh, what kind of pushed you to say, okay, now is the time. You know what, Aaron, it's interesting that you say you asked that because, you know, I, I always had this in the back of my mind and, you know, your parents tell you always have a backup plan, always have a backup plan. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And we're so on, stuck on plan A. And I said, you know, working for various outlets and I've, I've been fortunate to work with some really big name outlets. I've been fortunate to work with some, some great independents. Yeah. But as you know, things change, you know, companies lay you off, you get fired, the contract doesn't get renewed. You know, the monies aren't where they're supposed to be. You're like, well, hey, I'm not going to work for, pe for peanuts. Right. Right. Um, but you still want to continue on doing what you're doing. But if you don't have an outlet, you can't get into certain things. So. I think the last time my contract ran out 
And I said, okay, now I'm screwed because now I have no outlet. I have nothing. Yeah. And I can't continue. And it, it was like a two month hiatus that I experienced. And I said, okay, you know, it's time to create something. So I had a, a another fellow colleague um, at that time that we created a company together. Um, and it, it lasted a good while and we built it up and I, and I built it up to a certain extent. I mean, I was holding like 80% as far as, you know, just shouldering things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's factual. And, you know, it, it dissolved. And I said, okay, if I can do this with that person, I can do this on my own. So I decided um, at first it was called Nightfall Media and we opened that. And then due to legalities, uh, the name had to be changed. <laughs> So screw that network that 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 tried to that got me to change the name. Yeah, by the way, yeah, <laughs> the hell with them. <laughs> but it was a blessing in disguise because then at that point the pandemic had hit, unfortunately, and shut everything down. As you well know, it shut everything down. We had some opportunities on the table that got stopped. Um, just dried up. Yeah. Just I mean yeah, like like the like the Dead Sea. Just that was it. No more. No mas. That was it. You're done. Figure it out. So it's like, okay. So I gave it about a month, try to watch things happen. I said, okay, you know what? It's the perfect time to rebrand. So I rebranded, pay more money to trademark <laughs> again. Oh, it's it's investment. It's investment. Ooh, I, <laughs> I like the keep, way you say that, Aaron. I like the way myself, you say that. I don't spend money on the studio. I invest it. There you go. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. I'm going to have to borrow that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just going through those those trials and tribulations, but they 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 build your character and they build your your your, your strength and they really test you if you really want to do this. Um and I said, you know, I'm going all in. Head first. And we rebranded, got the website, you know, try to find people to do websites. Um and just rebranded. So- and here we are. So as, as uh, we're in a world where it's like you can do anything, you can cover anything. You've got all kinds of platforms, as you've discussed the idea that uh, you you own your space for your voice. How do you decide? Okay, I I don't want to just do sports. I don't want to just do entertainment and music. Uh, I I want to I want to do it all. I want to cover it all. Uh, in a world where it's like, no, I, I, I want to just specialize. I am only sports or I'm only music or I'm only entertainment. The only time I want to be in a box is when I'm dead. Right. And I don't even want to be in a box. Then I think I want to be cremated, but that was my mentality. Like, I don't want to paint myself in this box. Like I don't want to just be sports because I got tired of being called the sports guy. I got tired of being referred to as, and that's great because that's where I started. I don't, begrudge that at all but i just got tired of hearing it's like no i'm more than this i could talk about entertainment i could talk about films i could talk about music i could talk about politics to a certain degree i could talk about you know i'm i got gaming systems you know i could talk about gaming to us to an extent so i'm multifaceted i can create content you know i could create shows that have some substance to it and still have fun with it you know i'm i'm multifaceted i'm not just one individual and that's what kind of irked me and so I said, no, I'm just going to go after it all. I'm just going to build these relationships up. I'm going to network my ass off because that's where it is anyway. And I'm going to do what it, what it takes to get to that point. So when I created Nightcast Media, you know, I saw there was a void because even though 
there are a lot of, you know, there are quite a bit, let me not say a lot, but there are quite a bit of black uh, stations, but they're black targeted. They're not black owned. Um, mm. And there's a difference. It's an interesting <laughs> distinction. What's the, what's the difference? Black targeted means you have black people in front, men and women in front of the camera, or when you go in, inside the office space and you see the receptionist or the assistants or what have you, but who signs the checks, who owns the parent company, not necessarily black. So that's black targeting because you're targeting a certain demographic. Um, also, you know, people of color. When you're black owned, black owned media means you are black owned. The person is of, of black, you know, descent, a uh, person of color. And they're disseminating to not just black people, mainly black people, but you're disseminating to all communities of color yeah. because everybody has a story. And but there are stories that we can talk about as black journalists and as black media that middle America can't speak to. So when you look at the, with the, 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 the distance between black media and black owned media and just dealing with athletes alone, you know, there have been t- there have been instances where they will try to separate us from their athlete, whether it's through the, the manager, whether it's through the team, whether it's through whoever. And I said, no, I'm not going with that. And then, unfortunately, you know, the Breonna Taylor situation happened, the George Floyd situation, Amon Aubrey, uh, Dante Wright, as of as of late, the gentleman in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, that was executed. You know, those kinds of instances were happening and they had been happening. It wasn't just in 2020. Those incidents have been happening right. from Ezel Ford out here in L.A. to Sandra Bland to, you know, back where, where uh, Trayvon Martin uh, was was murdered. So. And then I started seeing teams take stands and they were saying, hey, we want to stand up against systemic you know, racism and inequality and oppression. I said, oh, do you now? OK. Does that include media, too? Or does that just stop at a PSA? So that's what really geared me to, to, to challenge those entities, whether it were sports teams, whether they were entertainment venues, saying, hey, black media matters. We're tired of being at the end of the damn red carpet barely getting interviews, barely getting content where we have to physically move around and act like we're something that we're not just to get the coverage and the content so we can build our audiences because our audience is just as important as the LA Times, as Yahoo, as you know USA Today or Sports Illustrated or what have you. So you're going to respect what we do. We are respected, earned journalists, journalists rather, that we want our opportunity. We deserve our opportunity because we've earned it. We're not asking you to give us anything. Just all, all, give us, allow us an opportunity to showcase the talent and, and the, the, the media savvy that we've accumulated over the years to be able to get that. So that's, that's where that came from. So, you know, Nightcast Media basically, you know, night obviously being night, dark, um, you know, black people, people of color, and then cast because we're considered, we're treated like outcasts sometimes in the media circuit. So I put those two together and said, that's the meaning. We're not outcasts. We belong here because number one, we earned our right to be here um, and we maintain our professionalism. And two, we have an audience just as important as yours. And if you don't recognize that, realize that and analyze that, then you will at some point. And we're going to make sure that you do. So that's where that comes from. The (laughs) access during the pandemic, did it get better or worse? Um, in certain regards, it got better. I, yeah. I kid you not. I was zoomed out 
Because <laughs> it was like, I had to work this hard even when I was in the field. I, I know. I, I, yes. <laughs> yes. Because it's like now everybody's on Zoom. So now you have you have access to everybody. But at, at, at the same time, you can't just like pull somebody over for a one-on-one after they're in the middle of a gaggle or something like that. It's, it, it made it very challenging, but you know, I take the bitter with the sweet. And I always say that I think it was sweeter more than it was bitter because I think it afforded you opportunities that probably we wouldn't have been afforded if we had been in person because they would have used the excuse of, oh, I'm sorry, there's no more room. Oh, there's plenty of room on Zoom call. <laughs> there's plenty of room it's, you can't tell me oh i'm sorry due to lack of space i don't want to hear that lack of space crap it, it it's plenty of room on zoom all you gotta do is let me in and i can sit there and, and conduct my business accordingly so yeah i mean i was able to cover you know the rose bowl because the rose bowl normally i cover the rose bowl every year i've been covering it for the last four years uh unfortunately because of the pandemic it had to move to texas and i wasn't traveling i have not traveled since march of 2020 <laughs> Um, and I wasn't traveling to Dallas. By the way, if anybody, if anybody has a sighting of, of Nick outside of Southern California, you let me know. Let me know. Yeah. Let me know too, man. Cause I want to see that unless you clone me. I want to see that. Uh, (laughs) But I just, I just, I just wanted to be safe. You know, I have, I have, I'm a, I'm a single dad with a, with a son. Um, I was, I was concerned about bringing something back to him. Yeah. Um, how old is my parent? He's about to be eight. Um, what kinds of conversations to, have you had with oh, him? He'll tell, oh, he educates me on the coronavirus. <laughs> like, he's drawing the coronavirus, what it looks like, because he's watching on TV, you know, the little graphics and yeah. stuff. So he'll draw yeah. it. Daddy, so you can't, you can't go out because of the coronavirus is still circling, and it's going to circle for a while. <laughs> so we have to be safe. So he'll educate you, Aaron. Like, if I brought him on here, he'll educate you about the corona. He'll tell you everything you know. That's you need good. to know about it as if he was the, the, he was one of the main researchers at CNN or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was just scared. I was concerned rather, you know, and then, like I said, my parents helped me with him because of the stuff that I do, you know, and they're elderly. So they come over and they do what they need to do. And, you know, they're up in age. And so I don't want to bring anything back to them either. Yeah. You know, I God rest his soul. One of my, my, one of my good friends, you know, his dad just recently passed away of COVID. Um, because somebody else brought COVID into their home. Um, and he unfortunately didn't make it. And so that just really resonated with me. And I said, nope, I'm staying my ass in the house. If it can't be on here, or it can't be somewhere local, like I'm going to Staples or I'm going to SoFi or someplace like that, nah, I'll be right here at the house in the office. Your son is special needs. How is it kind of balancing everything pandemic? I've got to work. I've not just work. I've got a business to run (laughs) and people are counting on me. And Oh, by the way, my autistic son is also counting on me. Yeah, it's tough, man. Especially when you're truly a single dad. Um, cause it's just me and him. And then, like I said, my folks help out. Um, he has got, he has some really good guy parents, uh, that, that will, that will, you know, help out with it. Obviously before the pandemic hit, um, and we're trying to work our way now to try to get back into it because he has got, you know, his guy, brother and sister, um, trying to get them reunited. Um, so that's been kind of tough for him. And, you know, not having friends, not being able to go to school. Um, it's been tough for any kid, whether they're special needs or, or just, you know, normal. It's been tough for any kid. So, you know, it's been it's been a tough balance. I mean, the, the, the saving grace has been able to do a, a lot of things from home where I can keep an eye on him. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and like I said, he's, he's, he's a creative individual, but we have to make sure that we protect him from himself because, you know, kids in that, that space, sometimes they get, um, you know, rambunctious and you don't want them to do anything that's going to pose harm to themselves. And they don't even realize it, you know, cause they're just in their own brain. Right. Um, and on top of that, having ADHD, um, that doesn't help either. So it's just trying to, you know, between calling doctors, making doctor's appointments, um, getting the counseling, and then me still having to do what I need to do. Um, it's a never ending, never ending saga, you know, still building up this company, um, having a great team, you know, at, at, on the home front, as well as people that are with, you know, my company, people like Jackie Wright, people like Chris Camello, people like, you know, Giselle uh, Morales, people like, you know, uh, my director of, of you know, uh, digital uh, video, you know, Adrian Galera, um, you know, um, just the podcast, the, 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 the shows that have entrusted me with trying to help them, you know, build up. Um, just having some really solid, great people. Um, you know, and, and really, you know, a good friend circle, tight knit friend circle too helps. Um, and of course, God almighty. <laughs> so, you know, on top of that, man, um, you know, it's not easy. And, you know, being a single, a truly a single dad and trying to balance a business, being a man, um, being able to have to make phone calls and get up early. Like I get like six hours of sleep a day because there's so much stuff to do. So I got 18 hours to basically 17 hours because you got to get showered and ready. Um, and then, you know, after your workout, because you still got to stay in shape. <laughs> uh, like, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's 17 hours left, 16 hours left. So what are you going to do with the 16 hours that you got going? So, you know, as you know, Aaron, I mean, you you, you balance, you do a great job of balancing, you know, fatherhood and, and, and doing what you do, man. So, you know, it's never enough hours of the day for us to be out here and really get to where we need to get to and really chip away at what we want to get to. But we, 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 we do it in stride, man. We do it. We do it. So, so effortlessly, um, it seems like, but we still do it. So that's what it is, man. Um, what do you think about so, SoFi? Oh man, it's beautiful. Aaron, it is, it is, it is sports heaven. I thought Jerry, when I went to Jerry's world, one I, year, I was going to ask if you'd been to Dallas. So no. yeah. Yeah, it was. I think it was twenty. I want to say twenty eighteen when the Chargers played the Cowboys in a Thanksgiving game. So I flew down there and I was like, "Oh my God, this is Jerry's world!" Like Jesus. Okay, this this is sport. And then when they built SoFi, and props to Stan Kroenke and Stockbridge Capital for putting that whole that just the land itself together. But SoFi Stadium, my God. And I said, "Okay, this is sports heaven." If I'm going to be buried somewhere one day, this is this is where I want to be buried. <laughs> this is it. This is it. I mean, love Jerry's world. Props to Jerry Jones. But damn it, SoFi Stadium is the place. I mean, if you have not been there, fortunately this season, a lot of people will be able to go to SoFi once again and be able to experience it. You definitely got to experience it. I mean, it's, it's, it's spectacular. I mean, the way they have it shaped. The other amenities around Hollywood Park, that whole that whole lot, it's two hundred and almost three hundred acres. I mean, it's you could put three Disneylands in there. Are they are more. they done with it? I can't remember. I mean, they they've still got some more development to go, right? Yeah, yeah, they still have some development to go. But I think by the time the NFL season cracks off, I'll, I would say I would I'll be willing to say at least seventy five percent of the things will be open and available to people, which would be great. So 
I always tell people, look, all you miss was a bunch of dirt being moved. There's nothing you, <laughs> I mean, all you can do is go to the stadium and leave, right? Because you just know where to go. Like you have no place to go. Even for, I mean, for us in the media, uh, we had no place to go for Rams and Charger games. So it's like stadium, show them your pass, park a space apart, get in, get the hell out. <laughs> That's what it was. So fortunately for, for fans, it'd be great for fans, man. But I, I, I'm just so looking forward to this NFL season. I'm so looking forward to sports, at least from a normal side, getting back. I mean, the, the, the dates will be back on track for the NBA and the NFL and the NHL and college football and baseball. So I'm so looking forward to that. So uh, growing up, were you like Dodgers, Lakers, Kings? It's just, it, and, and how has that fandom changed as you've entered the media? Ooh, Aaron, that is an excellent question, sir. I'm glad you asked me that. Allow me to elaborate if I may. <laughs> um, growing up, man, yeah, we were Dodger fans. We were Laker fans. Um, I tell this story all the time. My first baseball game, my parents got tickets from the job. We went to the World Series game one, 1988. Oh. My first. Had no idea. That Just that, like, hey, we're going to a Dodger game. That's okay, your cool. first game. Very first game. Wow. Very first Laker game. Again, my folks had the hookup. Somehow, some way, <laughs> my folks had the hookup. 1988. Also 88. Game two of the Lakers NBA finals against, I think they played the Pistons that The year? Pistons that year? I think so. Yeah. Went to that game. Sat in the seats where all the Laker families were because we had tickets where the Laker families and like the wives and stuff would hang out. Those were good seats. We went to McDonald's. Wow. Mom's got me a quarter pounder with cheese, some fries. <laughs> Only thing my mom bought was a program and something to drink at the forum. <laughs> that was it. You better enjoy these seats. <laughs> and that was my first basketball game. And I've been a Laker fan. I was a Laker fan at that point. I was a Dodger fan. Um, when Wayne Gretzky got here, that's when I became a, a Kings fan. Yeah, you and about 99% of the rest of us who are Kings fans. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I played hockey when I was younger. Um, I started out with playing roller hockey, and then we had graduated up. And I used to play at the Culver City Ice Rink. Um, God, God. Don't get me started on that. It's just such a sad situation. But anyway, um, but I really got into it because, again, I got exposed going to different schools when I was younger yeah. to get exposed to different cultures. And so that enabled me. And I want to do something different. I didn't want to be like, OK, a typical baseball. I mean, basketball, football guy. I want to do something different. Um, and that's what I did. So all in all, um, you know, I grew up that. Um, and then I grew up a Yankees fan, too. Because my great uncle used to be a Yankees fan. So Ooh. I kind of took on his. My face. Ooh. <laughs> hey, man, look. Look here. I was a Dodgers fan, a Yankees fan. And people couldn't figure out how I became that. And I was like, I'm holding the tradition down. My great uncle, he lived in New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a Yankee fan. So, you know, I took that on. Yeah, and, I, uh, it got a little bit easier because my <laughs> grandfather, who grew up uh, a, a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. See, yeah, so there was, you go. It was easier that way. Yeah, there you go. See, all those old school guys, they were either, you were either a Yankees fan, a New York Giants fan, the baseball team before they moved to San Francisco, or like you said, a Brooklyn Dodgers yeah. fan or what have you. So it, it all coordinates in that area. So, but as I got into this business, man, my fandom subsided. And so now it's like, are you a fan of anything? I'm like, I like teams. Like, I want to see the Clippers and the Lakers do well because yes. that helps me. Yes. I want to see the Kings do well. 
Um, There's an energy uh, around the city that you yes. don't get if these teams don't play well. And you know what? The beauty of sports in L.A. is the fact that sports brings people together that you would normally never run into. When we have Laker parades, I mean, you have black, you have Latino, you have Asian, you have gay, straight. If you are a Laker fan or supporting the Lakers, it's all one big happy family. Even doing the Kings parades, like I've yep. never seen this many hockey fans in my life. <laughs> I know where they half these people. <laughs> half these people couldn't even tell you two, two or three members of the Kings that year, those years. <laughs> yes. Not name. And, and, and I had one lady tell me, oh, yeah, Wayne Gretzky. I said, ma'am, you realize Wayne Gretzky hasn't played <laughs> hockey? Yeah, actually, he's a partial owner. Do you realize that in another hockey team? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, go Kings. I'm like, hey, you know what? <laughs> Welcome aboard. Hell, what am I going to say? But, I mean, I like to see the Rams and Chargers do well. I love I love what the Rams have done, you know, transforming the culture. I love what, most important, I love what they've done in the community. Um, you know, L- I like LAFC. I was I covered the LA Galaxy during the years of David Beckham and Landon Donovan and Robbie King when they won all those MLS Cups when it was fun and great to cover the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, I like LAFC. I think they're doing a fantastic job with with that ball club. Um, you know, I want to see the Kings do. Well. I want to see the. I like to see the Angels do well with Mike Trout. I love Mike Trout. I think he's a great guy. I'm damn wish. shame. God. Damn shame they're not giving him enough help. But Please. I like Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is a phenom. Can we get some pitching? On that Angels mound, let me tell you something, Aaron. Some <clears> year <throat> they're gonna put it together. I'm gonna say it like this, and I'm gonna be very discreet when I say this. When there's too many hands in the cookie jar, they're bound to go spoiled because somebody's gonna leave the top off. That's all I say about that. <laughs> Look at the difference between the Dodgers organization and the Angels organization. There's a reason why there's a difference. There's a reason why Albert Pujols is now a Dodger. What do you think? And about he's being that? treated. I will say this much. I personally believe the Angels could have handled that situation a lot better than they did, regardless of what went on behind closed doors. I mean, I read, I'm sure you did too, Bob Nightingale's article about what transpired behind the scenes. And that's going to happen. Um, but from an optical standpoint, what is that going to look like for the future of your franchise? You look at the Lakers, what they did with Kobe Bryant. <clears throat> the last two years. Did Kobe Bryant deserve a $48 million contract? No. But were they going to give it to him? Yes. Because of what he had, the, the work that he had put in and put the Lakers, help keep the Lakers on the map. Yep. Yep. You know, I don't have a problem with him. This this is Kobe Bryant we're talking about. I don't have a problem with it. But I mean, you look at it from, in, from a, a, a financial aspect, no. But they did that to show people, hey, we take care of our own. The Dodgers did that to uh, uh, the Silver Fox, you know, two years before he decided to retire. That dude was done two years before that. Yeah. But they did that because they wanted to show, hey, Chase Utley, we respect what you've done, what you brought to the game. And that sends a message to other players saying, hey, if you come here, maybe I'll get treated like that, too. You know, same thing with the Rams, same thing with the Kings, what they did with Dustin Brown and his wife and moving forward. Hey, we take care of our own here. The Angels didn't seem like they got that message. And it's like, hey, Albert Pujols said the other day, look, whatever my role was going to be, and he said that in spring training, whatever my role they want me to be, I'll fulfill it. It's fine. He knows Jordan Walsh was, was, the, was the next man up. He was mentoring the kid. He had a lot of respect for the kid. But the way he just hung, he just 
It's like they dumped him on the side of the road like yesterday's trash. And I really, you know, I thought that was really, really disrespectful to a guy that's, that's going to be a future first ballot Hall of Famer and what he brought to your franchise. All that you did to get him here to the franchise. And then because you don't feel like he's producing as well as he should be producing, you want to dump him on the side of the road. And I just felt like that was incredibly disrespectful to his, to his legacy. And I thought that really hurt the Angels. And I said this on 570. Hey, man, if I'm Mike Trout, I might be thinking second. I may have a second thoughts. Like, hey, how, they, how are they going to do me near the end of my contract? Are they going to do me like they did Pujols? Yeah. It's a valid question. I'm not saying they will. You know, I, and I think there's some great people in the Angels organization, you know, starting with the PR department, you know, on up. I think I think Perry is a good GM. I think he's a very incredible, you know, uh, uh, knowledgeable individual. Um, but, you know, as far as the optics are concerned, that's how you do your hall, your future Hall of Famers. Now he's definitely going to go in as a Cardinal. Yeah, any, any <laughs> yeah. hopes of him going to the Hall as an Angel? I mean, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, geez. Really? Albert Pujols as an angel going into the Hall of Fame? How big would that be? Yeah. Yeah. That 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 would have been that would have been fantastic. And Ooh. if they would have just given him some help, given him and Mike Trout some help, then maybe he he would go in as an angel with another ring as an angel. Listen, five general managers under the Artie Moreno administration. Five. Imagine that. How many GMs have been under the Guggenheim administration? One. Yeah. yeah. And one, de- it actually was two. Farhan departed. <laughs> and Andrew Freeman, the real brain trust, was able to work. And you see what that produced. Multiple World Series appearances and a World Series ring on top of that. So... You brought up Snoop earlier that it was one of the things that you wrote about that really kind of got Mr. Strauss uh, Mm -hmm. to, to praise you and kind of try to push you in this right direction. Uh, Original chronic or 2001. The chronic album. And I'm going to say the chronic album on vinyl. Oh, the chronic album on vinyl. Oh, that, that, that that gave me goosebumps just 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 thinking about that. Dr. Dre is. I don't know. I, I read. I saw some somewhere that Fat Joe said that DJ Khaled was the Quincy Jones of hip hop. What? Fat Joe has lost his mind, or he was drunk, <laughs> or so, too much Ciroc. Shout out to Ciroc, by the way. <laughs> There's no way in in West Hell you're going to tell me that Dr. Dre is the Quincy Jones of rap or hip hop. The dude is an incredible ear. He has he's an incredible producer. The man knows talent. Hell, he was a he was technically an AR Ruthless Records when he was young. And to me, the production has gotten incredibly better over the course of time. Like the Strata Compton album, that was great. But the 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 Nias for Life, the production of it, totally on a different level. The DOC's album, he made the DOC legendary after one album. That was Dre's production. Because of the beats. Yeah, because of, yeah. And DOC just, he, he, I, I told him to his face, well, that's a dude, you the Shakespeare of hip-hop, just so you know. So you combine those two talents, and then you got a Snoop Dogg, a raw, unpolished diamond-like Snoop Dogg back then. 
to where he is now, reinventing himself over and over again, brilliance. You got the dog pound. You had the Lady of Rage. You brought, they were able to bring Tupac on and create one of the most, probably the biggest masterpieces of his career. And that thrusted Tupac's career into the stratosphere with all eyes on me. Pac was, that was, we talk about the Golden State Warriors pre-Kevin Durant. And then with the Warriors were with Kevin Durant, Death Row was were the Golden State Warriors. Tupac was Kevin Durant. And we know what that produced. So yeah, that, I hope that answers your question. The first I love this, I love Chronic 2001. I love it. I think it's great too. But it's just that again, that 90s epic sound. Yeah. And, and I feel like Chronic 2001. And and again, I, I am not a hip hop head. Don't come at me. <laughs> do do not. But I, I feel like that was it, they were bookends. It's like okay, you you've got the original Chronic, you've got Chronic two thousand one. Anything before or after that, okay, it's fine. That that's fine. But it's it it's just it's those two albums, and everything in between. We could talk yeah. about it, sure. But it, those two albums right there are the beginning and the end of an era. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I even love the Compton album because it was a lot of live instrumentation that Dre was able to orchestrate on that album. I don't think it, a lot of people really respected that album like they should have because I thought the Compton album was a great album, too. Um, yeah, I think it, didn't, it was Dre. didn't get the critical love that... Uh, that I, no, I, think, I believe it went platinum, though. So, I mean, I know he, he was taking the proceeds from that album to benefit, I, I believe, Compton High or doing some, some some things with the Compton Unified School District. So, you know, props to Dre for that. Um, but, yeah, man, I agree with you. I mean, I think about the Warren G album, Regulate the G-Funk Era, oh, Twins, so The Dove Shack. Um, really, Snoop just put Long Beach on the map. I mean, you had so many talented people come out of Long Beach because of Snoop Doggy Dog at that time, you know, from the dog pound on down. Uh, Nate Dog, rest in peace. I mean, you had just incredible artists, LBC crew, um, just incredible artists, man. And it was just a time frame where it's just it was captivating, um, and it put it put a lot of pressure on other guys to get better. Like you had Ice Cube, you know, Cube was dominant. You know, he was able to produce groups. Um, you know, Caution and you know all KD the and the West, yeah. all from the Eye and West Side Connection. Which I hope one day they reunite. Oh, my please, God, please! Everybody keeps asking Mac Ten, oh. and, and every time I say, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to ask Mac Ten that because he might get mad. <laughs> <laughs> so enough people, enough people have asked Mac Ten about the West Side Connection reunion. So I said, well, you know, if I ever get a chance to interview Ice Cube, I'm going to ask Ice Cube directly. I don't West remember Coast. what year it was. Uh, early '90s, 92.3, the beat uh, had Summer Jam out at Irvine Meadows Amphitheater. Westside Connect was supposed to perform and it was, it was canceled like two acts, I think before, I don't know if it was SWV was supposed to perform just before they came on, but there was just, there was just too much shit going on. It was just, it was too hot. There were too many fights and it just, I never, I never got to see Westside Connect. Never. It just, it was that, that's one of my, that's one of my regrets is I never got to see Westside Connect. I've I, I saw them on the Up and Smoke tour. That was a that was the only time I saw them on the Up and Smoke tour. Um, but yeah, I never went to Summer Jam because every time every year it was a fight. 
Every year was a fight. It's the only, yeah, it's the only year I we never went. went. Yeah. <laughs> I've never gone. I was like, nope, I'm good. There's no some fights are gonna break out, and I'm like, no, somebody's gonna get shot. Nope, I'm good. Nick, I'm good. This has been great, man. This has been years in the making. I really appreciate you taking the time. Seriously, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Aaron. And thank you for doing what you do as well, man. I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, thank you for having me on, man. It's been fun. It was a nice little trip down memory lane. And uh, I, I appreciate you having me on once again. And, uh, you know, Nightcast Media is in full motion. So here we go. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Hamilton 213. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Hamilton LA. And then also at www.nightcastmedia.com, which is spelled N I T E C A S T M E D I A.com. And then on all uh, social media platforms at Nightcast Media. So you can find us there. Uh, we got a lot of great content, a lot of good people that's a part of the team, and we're continuing to grow. So we have a lot of new uh, podcast shows that are coming that have come on board rather than gracious enough to come on board. Um, shout out Lakers unfiltered. Great show. Downtown Rams. Another great show. Um, got a couple more in the books. I can't speak on right now, but <laughs> definitely you're going to be pleasantly surprised. We are definitely, you always got something working though. It's not, I can talk to you in, in six months. Got, got a couple things <laughs> I can't really talk about right now. Five years, got a couple things that can't really talk about right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, 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 you know what? Because I don't want to put the cart before the horse. And yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah. if it doesn't go down, then you look like you look inc incredibly stupid. <laughs> and I don't like looking stupid. So I just rather keep my mouth shut and just say, hey, you know what? Let me just hold off. But I will say this much. I am working on a, uh, I've been working on a script, um, like a TV script. So I've been kind of dibbling and dabbling with that. But hopefully when things kind of calm down a little bit, I can kind of finish that up and then hopefully by the time we talk next time we'll be close to having that finished or at least getting some type of meetings from some people <laughs> i look forward to it man come back on thanks nick thanks aaron appreciate you man have a good one you can watch this episode on youtube and db and atv follow the aaron bender podcast on your favorite platforms and link to it at aaronbender.com that's also where you can find all my social media if you have guest ideas or comments email me aaronbendermedia at gmail.com be well and thanks for listening